You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. Locked On Packers today is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On to get ten dollars off your first order. We have Emery Hunt on the show today to talk about AJ Dillon. Emery is one of the best in the business. He is the owner of Football Game Plan. He does play-by-play, host. He does videos, all kinds of stuff. He is a former college running back himself, so he is the perfect guy to talk about A.J. Dillon and his potential impact on the Packers. And just a little bit of a heads up, this is not why he's on the show, but it is the case that Emery likes the Packers draft much more than a lot of the mainstream analysts. I had him on to talk about A.J. Dillon. It just so happened after we did that, he came out with a video with grades, and, and he seemed to like this draft much more than the average sports media person. So we're going to get his perspective into all of that. Before we get to that discussion, as part of our Rookie Orientation series, we heard from Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers for the first time since offseason workouts began. We heard from Matt LaFleur after the Jordan Love pick. We had not heard from Aaron Rodgers after the Jordan Love pick. And so speculation started. And there was a lot of consternation in Packers Nation. There was a lot of speculation from around the league. Oh, Aaron Rodgers is going to react this way. The Packers were trying to do this. They were trying to do that. And we were able to hear from Rodgers himself. And his comments were pretty revealing. First of all, never in the press conference. And certainly it's possible that his private feelings are different. When Aaron Rodgers spoke to the media at the end of last week, he never mentioned not using high picks on skill position players, did not mention any sort of disappointment about Jordan Love not being another player. Now, he expressed a very specific type of regret a little bit, surprise, certainly, he says that outright, a frustration that he is no longer in control of his destiny in Green Bay. Here's what he said. Um, and I think, you know, the general reaction at first was was surprised, I think, like many people. Um, you know, obviously I'm not going to say that I was, you know, thrilled by by the pick necessarily, but I, I understand the organization is, is thinking not only about the, the present but about the future. And I respect that. You know, I understand, uh, uh, understand that their focus and their mindset and, Obviously, they thought that uh, he was such a great talent that uh, they needed to go up and get him. So, um, you know, I was, like I said, generally surprised. But, um, 
you know, it's it's what uh, it's what those guys are paid to do to put together a roster for now and, and for the future as well. And so while there were some who were willing to twist these words and say, oh, you know, he made it clear that he's willing to play elsewhere, blah, blah, blah. He didn't really say that. In fact, he seemed to go out of his way to not outright say, if I have to play somewhere else, I will. Now, he made some oblique references to it, the fact that other players have done it, the fact that he'd like to play into his 40s, and that maybe the timelines no longer add up. Well, I think what it does is just reinforce kind of the the, the adage that you can only control what you can control. And uh, it's always been, um, you know, a mantra uh, for myself. And I think any, you know, any great athlete, you know, there's things that are just out of our control. Um, that obviously is, is something that's very important to me, but I think is, you know, is definitely telling at this point that that is truly uh, something that's out of my control. What I can't control is how I play and making uh, that decision um, at some point uh, a very hard one. Um, you know, if, if I were to retire in the organization's timetable, then it's an easy decision. But uh, if there comes a time where I still feel like I can play at a high level and and uh, my body feels great, um, you know, then there's, you know, other guys have, have, have gone on and played elsewhere. This was perhaps the most direct reference to his willingness to continue playing if the Packers are willing to move on. Now, there is nowhere in there any indication that this pick created an incentive for him to leave or that he is pissed off in some way and as a result wants out. What he expresses, and in fact at the end of the press conference was asked about it again, ESPN's Rob Domofsky allowed him to put a finer point on it, because what Rodgers expresses is is actually a frustration about wanting to do a thing, and that thing is finish his career in Green Bay. It clearly means a lot to him. And understanding that this selection now potentially takes that out of his control, that before it would have just been if he wants to keep playing and he keeps playing at a high level, that he was going to be the quarterback until he retired. Drafting Jordan Love could make that potentially fraught, and he understands that. It is not the case, at least from what he expressed, that the the pick made him want to move on, but rather that if the Packers want to move on from him, he is willing to keep playing if he so desires at that time. And of course, that is all up for debate. If he wants to keep playing, he will do that. And it's just no longer up to him if that will be in Green Bay. That is his frustration. Here's how he summed that up. You know, it was more the surprise uh, of the pick based on um, my own feelings of wanting to play into my 40s and then really the realization that it does it does change the controllables a little bit because um, as much as, you know, I feel confident in my abilities and, and, and what I can accomplish and what we can accomplish, um, there are some new factors that are out of my control. And so my, you know, sincere desire to – start and finish with the same organization um, just as it has with many other players uh, over the years, uh, you know, may not be a reality at this point. And, and uh, as much as I understand the organization's uh, future 
outlook and wanting to make sure they're thinking about the team now and down the line. Um, and I respect that. Uh, you know, at the same time, I still believe in myself and, and, and I have a strong desire to play into my 40s. And uh, I'm just not sure how that all works together at this point. All in all, it's pretty banal. It is pretty vanilla. He didn't say anything we didn't already know. The Jordan Love pick is aimed at creating a succession plan. That's pretty clear. Now, Jordan Love has to play well enough to make it work. And if Aaron Rodgers continues to play at a high level, as he says, he wants to make the choice difficult. In a year, two years, three years, he wants the team to have to say, man, are we really ready to move on from a Hall of Fame quarterback who's playing at a high level? That would be Rodgers' preference. He understands that that is not likely given the timeline of Jordan Love, that if Jordan Love hits, that if Jordan Love works out, that it means that Aaron Rodgers, if he wants to continue to play, will mean that he has to do so elsewhere. This is not news to us or anyone else. The Packers, when they made this pick, sent that message that Aaron Rodgers is probably not going to, at the very least, finish his contract in Green Bay And if he wants to continue to play into his 40s, that it will have to be somewhere else. Now, of course, that's if Jordan Love is good. If he's bad, that creates a whole other set of problems that the Packers and Rodgers will have to iron out. If in three years, Love looks like he can't play, then the Packers are in a tricky situation because they're having to go to Aaron Rodgers and say, okay, there's one year left on your contract. We'd like to extend you. And Rodgers may say, kick rocks. You drafted Jordan Love. You didn't think I could play anymore, so I'm going to do the Brett Favre thing. I'm going to go somewhere else, and I'm going to play. Maybe he would do that. Maybe he wouldn't. And as Rodgers says, if he retires on the team's timeline, everything works out great. The team's timeline is two years, three years, most. Well, if Jordan Love is good, that's the timeline that makes sense. And so for the Packers... That's not a surprise. So really, none of this is new. Aaron Rodgers essentially says he understands the thing that all of us already knew. If he wants to keep playing, he has to do it somewhere else. He signals he is willing to do that, but does not say outright, this is very important, does not say outright, I will play somewhere else. He said he understands other players have done it and that he would like to play into his 40s and all of those things. But There's no guarantees he'll be able to do that. There's no guarantees that he'll be playing well enough to continue to do that. There's no guarantees he'll be healthy enough to do that. And the Packers may win the next two Super Bowls, and he decides, yeah, it would be great to to keep playing into my 40s. It would be better to retire on top. Those are all scenarios in play as well, and certainly he knows that too. He did his best to put out fires, to quell concerns that he is going to be a malcontent, He said explicitly he is excited to work with Jordan Love, excited to to practice with him and play with him and get to know him. They had a good conversation, and they're going to be teammates. He expects to have a good relationship with him like he does all of his backup quarterbacks. So does that mean that there's trouble brewing in paradise? Of course not. Now, it still could. Of course, Rodgers has to say some of this stuff, but he's also rarely afraid to call it like he sees it. So maybe there's going to be an interview down the line where he fires some shots. Certainly he has been willing in the past, if if the Packers have made moves he doesn't like, to do that. But I think he understands, and as we've heard from guys like James Jones, that this is motivation to him. 
Go out and, and play your best. Make it hard, as he said. Make it hard for the team. Because what Rodgers wants to do most of all is win. And if he can do it in Green Bay, great. He wants to go win games. He wants to win the next three Super Bowls. He wants that to be the thing. He doesn't want to be mired in mediocrity for the next few seasons, no. He wants to go out and play well. He wants the team to be good. And he wants everyone to succeed. Fans, some of them have a little bit of a different motivation here. Some of them want them want him to be bad enough that the Packers can move on. Some of them want the Packers to be bad enough that they trade Rodgers so that he can be free or whatever it is. And the the but the truth is, the motivations for the team and Rodgers at this point are aligned. And your motivations, if you're looking for a great tasting snack in quarantine that is still healthy for you, Built Bar is the way to do it. You could get a candy bar. You could order. I mean, are you really going to go to the grocery store or are you going to order delivery from the grocery store? Hopefully you're being safe when you're going there. You're you're wearing a mask if necessary. You're doing your distancing. You're, you're being as safe as possible. But of all the necessities that you get, when you get your, your eggs, your bacon, your milk, are you going to reach for a Snickers bar or are you going to reach for something that can actually sustain your body in a healthy way that also tastes delicious because that is what Built Bar is aimed at doing. We're talking about bars, 15 grams, 20 grams of protein, and under 200 calories, three grams of sugar, three net carbs, stuff like that. It's tremendous. Let them help you do that because right now, if you go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. And if you're looking to make an impact on more than just your diet, there's no better place to do it than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where you can do that and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? And text ALPL to 462-769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462-769. All right, let's get to our conversation with Emery Hunt. You can follow him on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Obviously, all one word. He is all over with his content. Uh, You can see him on YouTube. He does videos there. He's also doing color commentary uh, for college games and scouting. Emery, thanks for coming on Locked on Packers. I appreciate you having me on. So I, I want to focus on A.J. Dillon, the Packers' second-round pick here today, but I, I wanted to get your top-line thoughts on the draft because I watched the video that you did uh, grading the Packers' draft, uh, and, and if any of our listeners haven't watched it, go check that out. Uh, it's a pretty in-depth look, not just at the draft, but undrafted free agents, and uh, that's something I want to get your thoughts on at the end as well because I, I have some uh, interest in two of the corners that they got in an undrafted free agency. But you seem to be a little bit more bullish on this draft than a lot of the analysts. You gave the Packers draft a B. So what did you like about what the Packers did in the draft? You know, at first you look at it from talent acquisition and I like a lot of the players that they were able to draft. And I thought this just followed up what they did last year. I thought they had an A plus draft last year and what they were able to bring in. Um, and this year it was like, okay, they did a solid job in backing that up as well. So, um, looking at it from a talent acquisition standpoint, I like the players that they brought then taking a a step back and really analyzing the why behind a lot of the moves they made, it sort of triggered what I thought was a 
philosophy change or shift in, mm-hmm. in terms of what we're normally used to seeing the Packers. Now, folks wanted to see the Packers draft wide receivers. I understand that. But, you know, the Packers, the, the Packers tend to have a, a type of receiver that they like, you know, these long, slender, angular guys that can that can, you know, has they have great acceleration. Um, and I think the depth chart is stacked with a bunch of those guys. But right. when you look at what they were able to draft um, and how they went about it, I think they're trying to go more toward of a, a run-heavy offense and allowing the passing game to be a complement. And so when you look at them dra- drafting three offensive linemen, drafting an A.J. Dillon, drafting a, a H-back type, uh, you know, tight end and, and Josiah DeGara out of Cincinnati, okay, now it makes sense. Now they're just trying to, you know, slowly transition to a team that, that can bludgeon you to dead up front while also being able to have the element of the explosive play in the passing game. So looking at it from that point, I, I was like, okay, I, I like what they did. They did a solid job of acquiring those pieces to eventually make that transition. So that's why I gave them a B. Well, I like what you said here about uh, the, the the talent acquisition and, and looking at sort of in the aggregate the last two years. That's something that stood out to me about Dylan and DeGuara especially is those guys are not that similar to players they currently have on their team. You know, Rashawn Gary was taken with the idea that he would develop into something in the future, but they had a, they had outside linebackers. The Packers don't have a back like A.J. Dillon. They don't have a tight end like Josiah DeGuara. And let's talk about Dylan because he is a fascinating player, I think a little bit of an underappreciated player. Going into the combine, I don't think he was on the radar for a lot of even even the people who cover this for a living. Did you have a chance to evaluate him before he tested extremely well? And what did you think of him then? Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, as you may know or may not know, I do color commentary. So uh, yeah. I'm at a college campus every Saturday. And the reason why I'm able to see a lot of Boston College games because they do a great job of having these Thursday night or Friday night games. So I'm able to fit in a, a scouting trip before I go to the city I'm going to to call a game. And so I've seen a lot of A.J. Dillon in person over the course of his career. And I will say this, the first two years of his career, you instantly saw this guy is just a strong guy. You know, he's a downhill runner. He takes on all tacklers. He's essentially going to be one of these Andre Williams type guys. But this past season, you know, I was at the Kansas game this year, which was a Friday night game. Kansas, I think, won um, in an upset. But I was able to notice how, you know, A.J. Dillon added shiftiness to his game. It's almost like he was preparing himself to answer these questions that the pro scouts would have about mm-hmm. his game because he spent the first two years just running over everybody. But now he was making guys miss. He was showing a, a little bit more quickness to the hole, um, being able to, make that jump cut that you want to see that lateral jump cut. And so adding that to his game kind of added a different element and show growth. Okay. If he's able to do that, then we could teach him how to make guys miss or, or instruct him to be able to make guys miss. And we're not talking about making guys miss like a, you know, to Rick Cohen or a Barry Sanders type deal, but being able to avoid direct contact. And one guy that, you know, talked about this going from, uh, the time when he was at the Rams to the time he went to the Pittsburgh Steelers was Jerome Bettis. You know, yeah. with the Rams, he was strict bulldozing people. Then he said, you know, if I want to have a long longevity in my career, I had to learn to make guys miss. And if you notice, Bettis in Pittsburgh did a great job of being a little bit more shifty uh, while still being that bruiser, but it helped extend his career and made him the Hall of Famer that he is. And so when you see A.J. Dillon, uh, 
learning that early in his running back career as far as, you know, as you know, being a junior in college and saying, hey, man, I, I can't keep doing this, even though he's still strong. He still has that power. And I think another element of his game that was underrated by p- many people until they saw it at the combine was he had the breakaway speed. So mm-hmm. when you look at that, he reminded me a lot of, of Derrick Henry. And when you just think of him as a, a downhill punishing runner, but he has the ability to really rip off those yards in chunks. So I, I thought Dylan showed enough growth to where taking him in round two made a lot of sense. And when I studied him, he was my uh, fifth or sixth rated running back to where you're thinking like, okay, this guy has enough growth in his game. He showed the the wherewithal to get better in certain regards. And because of that, you know, he has the pro ready game. And I thought as a second or third round pick, he would have been a, a good pick in my opinion, which he was. One of the things that I think is going to be a question for him, though, is the scheme that he played at Boston College uh, is pretty different from what Matt LaFleur's preference would be, at least to run in terms of the outside zone heavy style that LaFleur wants to play. On the other hand, you mentioned Derrick Henry with LaFleur in Tennessee two seasons ago. They tried to run more of that outside zone, and by the end of the year, he realized Derrick Henry needed to play in more of a gap scheme. They needed to do a little bit of of a different kind of thing. So two questions here. With Dylan, if he's going to be, you know, let's say the the second running back on this team moving forward, do you foresee more of that of that gap style being part of the Packers offense? And is it something that you think he can transition to in terms of getting into that outside zone scheme? I think it's something he can transition to. It's all about repetition, to be honest. And if you look at him and compare him to uh, Jamal Williams, they kind of similar. They do similar things. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a, a situation where they want to make sure um, they get a guy that had above average vision and acceleration. Two things that you definitely need to be a solid outside zone guy. You got to have that acceleration to be able to, you know, push your foot on the gas and hit the corner if it's there. And you have to have the vision to be able to find that cutback lane if it's there or when it's there. And so he has above, he checks off those boxes in my opinion. So I think he, yeah, he has the ability to be an outside zone guy and also be the gap guy that they want to go that route as well. I'm wondering about how you viewed his third down viability, because that was one of the big questions. I know that that was one big, one reason that pro football focus really didn't like him as a prospect, despite giving him outstanding grades in college for his running and his overall play. They felt like, look, he just can't be a factor on third down. It was something that stood out to me even before the Packers drafted him, watching him going, he's actually got solid hands. And because he has that juice with those, you know, the the ability to make chunk plays and, and breakaway runs, that I, I thought he could be more of a factor in the passing game than Boston College even used him. What was your perception of his his ability to play on third down in the NFL? Yeah, one of my notes I have in in, a, in my draft guide about his game is the fact that he's a very good pass protector. Mm-hmm. And so that alone gets you on the field early. And like you, you know, so eloquently laid out, he showed soft hands. And people get caught up in looking at the raw numbers of a guy oh, he only has six catches. Well, he can't catch. Not a big factor in the passing game. That doesn't mean he can't catch. just what's an ass to. And so right. when you see him catch the ball at the combine and just catch him, you could tell instantly how someone catches a football. People look at watching him catch at the combine and they wanted to factor that into their you know equation. But for me, it was, <laughs> that's the beauty of going to games live because I had no questions about 
him catching the football. And, you know, people may be snarky and say, well, you don't have to go to a game live in order to evaluate. Yeah, that's true in some cases, but what happens before the game is a lot of stuff that you don't get on film. So you watch him catch the football, uh, running routes downfield, showing that he's comfortable, you know, catching the football. And and to be honest, you can watch somebody maybe catch one or two passes and, and determine whether or not they're a good pass catcher, you know, because sometimes it looks like it's natural. And other times for guys that aren't really good, you know, receivers, they tend to be afraid or shocked when the ball comes away. So they super focus on it and they, you know, it, it looks unnatural. He never had that, you know, I never had that feeling while watching A.J. Dillon. So going to a game live definitely allows you to uh, see certain things that you won't see in the game. Because, again, I watched him catch maybe 10 to 12 passes in warm-ups, and we know Boston College may only throw the football seven times a game. Right. You know? So <laughs> you won't see him catch passes. But um, watching him before workout, I had no problem with that. But the biggest part of his game was the fact that in, in my notes, in my draft guy, like I mentioned, he, he's a guy that is a very good pass protector. So you have that strength. You're already going to be on the field, and people will be surprised that he can catch. And I think people saw at the combine, yeah, he can catch the football. So, yeah, he is a, a guy that you can trust on third downs. Yeah, it's one of those things where, um, you know, proof of or absence of proof isn't proof of absence. Just because we didn't see him do it doesn't mean that he can't do it. And it's one of the reasons why I, I compared him to Eddie Lacy. We used to watch him in warmups and Rodgers would would be throwing to, let's say, Jordy Nelson. And then whoever was the backup that day, Graham Harrell, would be throwing to Lacy because he was like, look, I can catch. This is a thing. And, and you could watch him and get. Yeah, he he has natural hands. He can he can do it. And he's not going to be split out wide and run you know, sluggos, but Aaron Jones couldn't do that either. And in fact, Aaron Jones, one of the reasons why he didn't play more early in his career was he couldn't pass protect as well as his coaches wanted him to. So that is certainly good news to hear about A.J. Dillon. I want to I want to ask you, because I was interested in your evaluations of, of two of the undrafted corners who I'm really intrigued by. It's a bummer we don't get rookie camp because I think Will Sunderland and and uh, Stanford Samuels III would have both been guys who stood out because of their size and their move- movement skills. What did you see from those guys in college, and, and do you think they have a chance to stick on on NFL rosters? Yeah, and I was shocked that Samuels didn't get drafted. I thought the Florida State pedigree and you know the fact that he was a taller corner uh, would have put him recruit. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you thought those guys that had that background on paper would have at least been a fifth or sixth round pick, especially coming from Florida State. But uh, with Sunderland, it was you, you saw his above average footwork and, and technique. So for a taller guy to be able to um, play fluidly, I thought, you know, that's something that that yields itself to him being able to to make that transition easier. You know, you got the long arms. He, he presses well. And, and when you're lengthy like that, uh, you, you really clog up passing windows because you know, it makes it tougher for a quarterback to try to fit a football in there if they know you have the long arms to, you know, make that tougher. It forces a quarterback to be, you know, a little bit more accurate and consistently accurate throwing your way. And the same thing with, with Stanford Samuels. You know, this is a guy that's long arm and he has like these heavy hands almost like George Foreman, like when he, <laughs> he presses you, you know, so he can be aggressive up front because if he gets his hands on you, he can redirect and, and really stymie you at the line of scrimmage. He also you know, can blitz off the corner. So he's aggressive in that manner. He plays an aggressive game. Um, I even think he could be a safety down the line, to be honest. Uh, You know, like one of these combo safeties that we see nowadays where guys can be an overhang defender. Um, You can trust him back deep in zone a little bit. 
but, you know, the fact that he is aggressive at the line of scrimmage, he's aggressive in the run game um, and aggressive as far as how he blitzes, those type of players you want to find a way uh, to get on the field. And at worst, he'll be a core special teamer because he has a type of aggressiveness to go down there on kicks and on kick coverage and make a play. Yeah, it was the it was the four six five forty that that really torpedoed him. I mean, if he'd have run four five five, there's no question he gets drafted. I think, and at least based on what I've heard and read about him, we cannot discuss the Packers rookie class and not get you a question about Jordan Love. So, there are two parts of this evaluation, in my opinion: the the, the Jordan Love part, and then the fit part. It seems like pretty universally everyone believes that the fit for Love makes a lot of sense but as a player what did you think of him and and think of the selection for the Packers I'm glad you laid it out that way um because you know he reminds me a lot of Deshaun Kaiser uh and, and I like the don't Sean scare Kaiser. my listeners like that Emery come on <laughs> well here let me explain because people and it's, it's a shame because you say certain names and people automatically want to jump on the negative but when you look at Deshaun Kaiser the prospect coming out of Notre Dame they did a lot of the same things. And to me, Kaiser, actually his highs were higher than Jordan Love because Kaiser played in bigger games and, mm-hmm. and played well in those bigger games. I was at that game against Temple on Halloween night where Kaiser led them down the field in that two-minute drive to beat Temple. That was a top-ten game, ESPN game of the week. Um, and Kaiser had the, the end of the game against Virginia when he had to come in cold and led them to a victory down there in Charlottesville. So Kaiser's highs were better than love because of the, the type of schedule they played. Um, but when I when I made the comparison, I'm talking about the athleticism, the ability to throw that deep ball really well. They have a smooth stroke. When it, when it connects, it looks pretty. Um, you know, they can make those off-balance throws. It was the inconsistencies um, that Kaiser had and love had. Now, the reason why I also compared them to Kaiser because Kaiser was a guy, while talented, had the physical tools that you want, probably needed a, a year to groom, um, and he didn't get that in Cleveland. Had they kept Josh McCown, they probably and, – and allowed Kaiser to sit a year and, and you know work through the mechanical issues that he had, it probably would have ended better for him in Cleveland. Uh, even though he played, he showed flashes of what he could potentially be, but you still saw those, those things that, that stuck out at you at Notre Dame show up in um in cleveland for love it was the same thing it was the night and day we got to see it for him from him in college from his you know last 2018 to this past season it was the inconsistencies and i put in my notes he's a guy that needs to have a, the ability to, to get groomed and you know iron out some of his wrinkles as far as his mechanics are concerned because he predetermined throws sometimes and just kind of fires it out there. He doesn't see that overhang defender or that buzzing defender or that guy that, that is, you know, they're playing trap defense on one side where it looks like it's cover three, um, but it's really cover two. And the guy just sinks and picks off that ball. Um, but what I like about the fit is that he's going to get that time to develop and groom in green Bay for however long it's going to take Rogers to, to hang him up. Love is still going to be there, and Love gets to digest the system. It's a stable situation, so he's going to be what he's going to be the better version of what Deshaun Kaiser could have been had he had the opportunity and the the framework, the foundation that Love is going to get as a rookie. The trust in the coaching staff, you know, the coach that actually wants him and will publicly talk positively about him and and lays out a plan for him. I think having that ability. Um, 
to learn, to, to develop, to groom, to uh, hone his skills. And we've seen this work a couple of times. Like some people, and again, I think you get better by playing, um, but there are some things that you can work on if you're not playing, especially at, at that position. You go back and look at how Aaron Rodgers held the football at Cal, mm-hmm. just suppose how he holds it now, shows you you can work on some things when you're not playing. So I think Love landed in an ideal spot for him. Other ideal spot probably would have been maybe New Orleans, uh, you know, um, maybe someplace like Pittsburgh, someplace where he can, yep. you know, Indianapolis, Indianapolis, where he didn't have to play right away, learn the system. So when he does take the field, he is an expert in the system. And you hope that he had smoothed out a lot of those technical things. And I think he'll do that Green Bay. That's why I didn't, I didn't mind it. After the, the initial shock, you think about, okay, yeah, that makes sense for them, but it wouldn't have made sense for, let's say Jacksonville or someone like, like that. Yeah, I, th- I think there, there again, there are multiple pieces to it, right? So whether or not it was smart to take love over some of the other players they could have taken is a separate question. But are the Packers the kind of place where you can maximize Jordan Love's ability? And I think even the people who didn't like the pick agree that it, it is the case that he's going to get the best opportunity for him to succeed. And and that's what you want at any position. It's what you want from, from quarterbacks. And we've seen plenty of quarterbacks. I think it's easy to say, oh, Patrick Mahomes would have shined in any system. But remember, Patrick Mahomes couldn't identify the mic in training camp as a rookie. So, I mean, if he'd have, if he'd have gone out there and played for the Browns as a rookie like Deshaun Kaiser did, maybe his development looks differently. And I, I think that's not taken into account enough with these guys. Emery, this is this has been great. Um, I, I want to give my listeners a chance to to find out more of, about the work you do because I know you are you are ubiquitous when it comes to covering uh, not just the NFL but college football as well. So, where can my listeners find more of your work? Well, I appreciate you, Pete. They can follow me on Twitter at fballgameplan. Uh, if they still want to pick up my draft guide, which has you know the scouting notes for six hundred and eighty nine prospects, so you'll see my thoughts on the guys mm-hmm. that. You know, are drafted the undrafted free agents for the Packers. There's it. There are in that guide. Uh, they can find it at footballgameplan.com/slash 2020 draft guide, and they can also subscribe on YouTube to the Football Game Plan Network, located at youtube.com/slash Football Game Plan. I highly recommend you do all of those things, Emery. Thanks so much for being on the show. Appreciate you, Pete. All right, I want to thank Emery again for coming on the show. Great conversation there. Uh, and he, he likes it. Hey, Mikey, he likes it. He liked the Packers draft, certainly liked A.J. Dillon. I liked what he said about the ability to transition to an outside zone scheme, thinks A.J. Dillon can do that, and I, I love to talk to people who see these guys in person because there is something about that. It's why GMs want to do it. It's why Brian Gutekunst mentioned that he went to see Jordan Love in person because it matters, especially with quarterbacks, for example. You want to be able to see how the ball moves in person, how it flies off their hand, how it jumps, how they interact with teammates. It's why I loved what Emery said about being able to watch A.J. Dillon in warm-ups because that's when guys are are doing something different. They're doing things that maybe they wouldn't do in the game. Okay, is he natural? Is he out there trying to shag punts? Is he out there working with coaches on his hands? Is he catching passes from quarterbacks in, in warm-ups? Those kinds of things. You, you get a better feel for their overall athletic profile than just the combine and the tape. It's just one extra little data point. So uh, that was that was fascinating insight from him. We're going to get our rookie orientation series on Josiah DeGuara tomorrow and then our Nick Vile interviews. We've got Kamal Martin coming next week and a lot more programming. We're going to do a series on what ifs 
a big set of questions. I'm, if you have some what ifs, some that I that I have already thought of and that we're going to talk about are what if the Packers had replaced Dom Capers earlier with someone like Todd Bowles. Uh, there are a lot of fascinating what ifs that we can talk about and, and I want to hear from you. So send me them on Twitter uh, at Peter underscore Bukowski or at Locked on Packers. You can send them on Facebook. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast if you're going to leave a review. Maybe leave it in the comments with a five-star review. That would be great. Or anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.